So it's a holiday weekend, and um, I'm only preaching once this morning. We'll celebrate a good number of getting baptized in the next service. And you know what? My favorite sermon is always the one I'm working on or the one I'm preaching. Like, literally, it just is that way because the Word is alive. It's not. And, you know, when I prayed this morning before we came out, I just said, Lord, um, I want to say what you're saying. It's, it's not me. It's you. And I, and I said, Lord, I want to feel what you feel for your people so that the burden of what I'm saying won't be part of the job that I am to perform. And this is the most, besides praying, this right here is the most important thing I do. And it's not a technical thing I do. And so I come usually having sought the heart of the Lord. And I will tell you, um, I left this little bit from last week where I mentioned we'll talk today about truthless love and loveless truth. And, you know, it was just a little part of the sermon last week that I left off and I said, well, we'll button up black and white in a rainbow world, which is the sermon I preached last week. But give something a, a week to marinate in me, like the tributaries of the love. It's like a diamond. What is it? The three C's cut, color and clarity. Is that right? Suzanne Candace, is that right? Um, <laughs> Shine, is it? The, the word of God is, it's the most underestimated. Worship is underestimated, real worship. And the word is so underestimated. And what we were talking about last week was, you know, it, it's the word. When God speaks, if you receive it, it happens. You, Pastor Arbo was talking about, you know, or who was it shared? I think Ryan, you know, circumstances, storm. Jesus said, Jesus spoke and said, peace, be still. And the storm didn't have an option to reject it. But the storm wasn't created in the image of God like we are. We, we have an option. We can receive it or not. And so last week when we talked about the importance of the prophetic, you know, the, the problem we have in our country is, we're afraid to preach the word of God. And hear this. I, this is why Isaiah 55 says, the prophet says, speaking in first person from as if it were God, he said, my ways are higher than your ways. And that's, they're better, not altitude. It's not just he lives in a higher place than we do, but it's his ways have greater quality. And he said, as the heavens are higher than the earth. So it's not like his, his ways are a little bit higher. They're like, yeah. And, th and so then what did he say? So I sent my word, my word, Jesus. I'm here, you're here. I sent my word down to bring you up. Jesus, the word, came down. The father stayed up. And he sends his word to bring our, our ways up. And he says, my word will never come back empty or void. It will accomplish that which I intended it to do. Hear me. So you can receive the word and watch it. The word does the work if you receive it. Because it's spirit conceived. All Mary had to do was say, okay, I receive it. She conceived and the word grew in her. But if you reject it, God, God's like, okay, you're going to suppress the truth, Romans 1. Then you're going to be subjected to your own circumstances, which I love you so much. I'm even going to use them to bring you back to me. So are you picking up just the, the richness, the inexhaustible tributaries of just one chapter and how it relates to all of Scripture and how it relates to us? And how it relates to what's happening in the world right now. It's just incredible. It's just incredible. And so, Lord, we come to your word. I just approach it with great honor and respect. May I not add to it, take away from it. May I not seek in any way to promote myself. May I, 
May you demote me so that you can be promoted, so that people can be transformed. And we just ask, Lord, I ask in this room that we would have your heart for ourselves. For it's a mirror, we look into it and we see ourselves and we see what you see in us. May we have not only a heart for what you can do and want to do in us, but a heart for each other, Lord. For the weight in this room, the brokenness, the hurt, the needs, the desperation. We're out here in the suburbs, but we're just as broken as people on the inside of the perimeter. And we just thank you, Lord, that you come to speak your word this morning. Speak it with authority and clarity. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. amen. Picking up where we were last week. This is your first week in a while. This is the series, Wait, What? Wait, What? Wait, time out. Bring that back again? That's the series. Ephesians chapter 4, where we found our text last week. I just want to read two well, actually, one and a half verses. And it's where Paul said, we will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, what we will do in that rainbow culture, in that subjective truth culture, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. Now, I want to just begin with, I want to tie some things together. And these are big principles that are so important. If you've been through our vertical church class, you understand Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says that he has planted eternity in the human heart. In every heart of every person here, you were, you were born, you were created and born to be free. But we're not born into freedom. We're born into bondage. And your heart has an irresistible magnetic connection with truth. When you hear truth, something comes on you and, you, and your heart says, that's true. That will help you live eternally. You will, you will get back what Adam and Eve, they died in the garden. And, you, and God put it in your heart to be free. And, uh, and you may not even know the Lord. And there are people who have testified in coming to this church, sitting in God's presence during worship, just weeping. Sitting in, hearing the sermons. It's not anything, it's not the craftiness or the ability to put a good sermon together that I have or anybody else. It's your heart being touched by something you can't see in this room. And it's your heart going, the word is coming forth. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And it's also what causes me to be intense and sometimes to weep because it's like literally God's voice speaking through a person. And when his divinity touches our humanity, there's a breakdown that happens. You know what I mean? Just emotionally. And so I just want us to, this is why it's so important for for pastors and spiritual leaders to preach the truth. Our hearts long for it. We're desperate for it. Every human heart longs to be free. We're, we're designed with an insatiable desire for meaning, for purpose, and for joy. That's how God created us. But unfortunately, we're born into bondage, born into and experience brokenness with a longing heart, a desperate heart, and people will, this is why people do crazy things. Illicit drugs, sex, drink alcohol, medicate their problems with drugs and alcohol. We search and try many things to satisfy that longing. But God has planted eternity in the heart. When we hear something that we inherently know that that will enable us to live eternally, our hearts are drawn to it. But our brokenness and sometimes often our bondage camouflages the truth, distorts the truth, or it paralyzes us to respond to the truth that bondage does. And when we talk about black and white, right and wrong in a rainbow world, what we're talking about is simply the truth, objective truth, 
Truth that is true at, a, at all times and all places. Truth that is true for everyone, everywhere, all the time. Now, the Christian dilemma that we have is, while I know there are cheap grace people out there who are like, I love people and I don't want to hurt them, and so we back off the truth. There are also hardcore, mean-spirited legalists as well, and both are sincere. And so there are many of us who, by experience, believe that we have the answer and that truth and hope and life has a name, and his name is Jesus. But in this room, most people are on one side of that coin or the other. Either they lean toward truthless love or loveless truth. Um, sometimes I'll go on chat GBT and I'll just ask it a spiritual question. And it's interesting the, the responses you get. Sometimes it's theologically like really sound. It's incredible. And so I asked chat GPT late this past week, what is truthless love? And it says this, truthless love lacks sincerity, honesty, or authenticity. It might describe a love that is not based on genuine feelings or a truthful connection between two individuals. Everybody listen. As smart as that sounds and as compassionate as that sounds, that's not what we're talking about. Truthless love, it is sincere. There are many people who they sincerely love with a lack of truth. And, and on this, I, I want, I want, we got to separate this so you can understand the profoundness of what we're talking about this morning. Truthless love, listen, appears compassionate, empathetic, understanding, caring. Truthless love feels like, feels like, feels like genuine love. Loveless truth is legalistic. Judgmental, mean-spirited, insensitive, and, and religious. Religious is man's way to get to God on, with man's effort. Spirituality is what we're talking about. And so we don't want to be people of truthless love, nor do we want to be people with loveless truth. I'm not advocating for one or the other. I'm advocating for truth. Simple powerful, liberating truth, loving truth, and truthful love. And without that, there's no transformation. Second Corinthians says in verse 17, the B part in 18, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The spirit, where it is, or he is, is freedom. And we all are being transformed where he is into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Everybody say, the Spirit. The Spirit brings liberty and freedom. So the Spirit, this is why Jesus in John 15, I will send you the Advocate. And the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify about me. This is one of those tributaries. I got to keep moving along because we can. But everybody understands the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth because the Holy Spirit comes to liberate. And the only way to get liberated is to be truthful and experience truth. Um, John 16 says, when the, this is Jesus saying, when the spirit of truth, and there it is again, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Stay focused. There's like eight things I'd like to say to that, but I'm not going to. Everybody say, Pastor Chuck, resist the temptation. Just say it. All right, you just say four and a half minutes. Praise the Lord. The spirit of truth. This is Jesus in John 8, 32 and 36. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then four verses later, he says, if the Son sets you free, you are free for real. You are free indeed. You are truly free. 
So everybody understand, Holy Spirit isn't just a warm, fuzzy force that makes you come in touch and be more feely. The Holy Spirit reveals truth. And then the second thing, Romans 5, we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. So we see, wow, Holy Spirit helps us to not be truthless love or loveless truth. The Holy Spirit fills us and reveals to us truth and fills us with the love of God. Somebody ought to just say, thank God for the Holy Spirit. That's a big deal what I'm just talking about. Everybody good? Now, the message of truthless love does not have the capacity to engage the spirit of truth. Sermons that are partly true, doctrine that's partly or even mostly true, are not true. And when we declare messages that are truthless but sincerely loving, we don't have the capacity to engage the Spirit. If the Holy Spirit of truth is also the Holy Spirit of love, then a truthless love can only internalize an incomplete, inaccurate, deceptive understanding of the, tr of the love and truth of the redeeming work of Jesus Christ in the human heart. The Holy Spirit, hear me, only engages at the point of truth, in truth, in order to reveal the love of God which transforms the human experience. Tragically, truthless love is devoid of truth, and love. Truthless love is actually ruthless. And you can't even say it, love. So this is the atmosphere in Western Christianity. Romans chapter 1, verse 18, Paul says, and this is a pretty violent, like, like at least PG-13, probably tending toward rated R chapter of Scripture. It says, but God shows his anger. God gets angry from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. This is New Testament, not Old Testament. Because God knows Holy Spirit's the spirit of truth and the spirit who reveals the truth of God's love. And when men are suppressing truth, Wickedness breaks out everywhere. And if you've read Romans 1, it's describing 2023 in America. Are y'all out there? So I'm building a foundation. We're going somewhere. About an hour and a half, we'll be there. <laughs> the problem of misdirected truth, just slightly off course. The term suppress that I just read is unique. It is the word that describes the function of an ancient mariner, a pilot, or a helmsman. It was their responsibility to steer or pilot the ship on a particular course or direction in order to reach an anticipated destination. Suppressing the truth as a mariner, helmsman, or pilot which is a pastor's job or a spiritual leader's job. Suppressing the truth is the subtle work of deception that may appear to alter the compass bearing of the course of truth by only a couple degrees, which seems to not really matter much at all. However, over time and distance, this is always disastrous. Air New Zealand, Flight 901, November 28, 1979. You could ask them, but 200 and almost 300 of them died. They're not here to ask. They were off course by only two degrees, and they missed their destination by 27 miles, and they flew into the side of Mount Erebus. Just 27 miles off course. Plus, to not be mostly true, 
mostly doctrinally sound, but help us to be full of the Spirit who reveals truth and reveals, fills our heart. He reveals truth, which when understood is the outpouring of God's love in our heart. And it's God's love that we're all looking for, right? Not a religious code or a new church that we dig, that vibes with us. Are y'all out there? Now, so I wanna, we're going to look at two passages, and this is so good. Um, I have a close friend of mine, a colleague that for 25 plus years, Pastor Tom Sturbins and I have been friends, and we talk about this. We were talking about it on the way home at a wedding last night, and he's helped me understand some unique principles as it relates to what we're talking about. Tom preaches a sermon and he preached it on Easter 2016. And so, everybody track. It's John 20, where John, which one, I like all four Gospels, but John's is just, mm. And it's the story of Peter and John and then the women going to the well on resurrection morning. And what we see in it is four different times, listen, the word will say, and they saw or they see. And so it's one English word, see, but it has four different Greek words. Now, for those of you who don't know, you may be elementary in your faith, the Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in Koine Greek. And it's a much more descriptive, like we have one word for love. Like I love pizza, I love my dog, I love the Braves, and I love Candace. And I love God. How many of you know that's five different kinds of love? How many y'all are scaring me? How many? <laughs> well, well, the Greeks had five different words for love. Four of them mainly, but there are, uh, there's just infinite because it's a romantic, expressive language. And so when we go, they ran and they saw. We go, okay, they saw. They just saw it. But there's so much more to it. So here are the four different Greek words. The first one is the word blepo, and we'll see it first. And that's just the faculty, the, eye, the retina. The, you can see something. It's, under, it's there. You notice it. You see it. Secondly is theoreo, which is, you'll recognize that's the word theory. And it means to have a theory. To, you, you, you're a spectator. You're not engaged. You understand it. You know, like, you understand Mormonism or the Islamic faith. You, you, have, you get the theory. You, you, don't, you don't believe in it, but you, you understand it, where they're coming from. Everybody see? Third, so you go, I, I, th I can think like them because I understand it. Third is the word iodon, and that is to perceive unto the point of believing at some level. So you'll, we'll see in this John 20 passage where they go, it says they saw it, but it's not what they're saying. It's like they saw and believed at some level. Now, this can be you just start believing, you're new in your faith, and you're not like someone who's been walking with Jesus for 20 years. They're, they have iodine at a whole nother level, but you're on the same path, the same journey. Everybody understanding? And, and you can say, I, I believe. And then fourthly, and the last one is horao or horeo. And that is to perceive, to grasp, and to, to assimilate to oneself. So you're like, I'm going to adjust my life now to what I believe. And that's like, not only do you see it, you understand it, or think it, or you believe it, but now you got it. How many of you out there, you're a hurrah uh, believer, and you can say hurrah, uh, like, no, but seriously, how many of you go, I'm, I'm, past, I'm past all the silly arguments. There's not an atheist on planet earth that could get me, convince me that Jesus Christ is not my Lord and Savior and the Lord and Savior of the world. Okay. This is where we want people to get. I, we, I want my children and grandchildren to be there. I don't want them just be on the path. I don't want them just to understand mom and dad's faith. I want him to own it. And it said, I want him to get it. And so let's look now at John 20 
And, and I want you to see these things because this is important when we talk about being people who are truly loving and lovingly truthful. John 20, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and even in the darkness saw Bleppo. I see it, the stone already taken away from the tomb. That's her eyes saw the facts. Now it's an interesting one and it calls you to, you might want to check that out. The stone's been rolled away, but her, that's, what, that's the word right there. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple who Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Now she's saying some stuff, but she doesn't have all the facts. But what, what she has seen has caused her to react. So Peter and the other disciple went forth and they were going to the tomb. I love this right here. Who's the other disciple? John. And that's you, man. Just, just tell us. And then he goes, and we ran and Peter finished second to the other disciple. Just, don't you love sometimes, just men wrote the Bible, obviously, they're competitive. And God's like, I'm going to still use your humanity to get my eternal word so that people who are like you can understand me. Verse 4, the two were running together and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. Everybody, way to go, John, that a boy. And stopping and looking in, he saw Bleppo, I see it, the linen, linen wrappings lying there. There's clothes, but no body. But he did not go in. Hmm. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered in the tomb. And he saw the linen wrappings. And he began to go, what, what's going on? I see something. I need to come up with a theory on what's happening. Everybody see the difference? Verse 7, in the face Cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Verse 8, so the other disciple who had first come to the tomb, then also entered, and he saw. Now we see a different one, Iodon. And it means he saw and believed. Some things started coming together. And what he saw and what the Holy Spirit was bringing to his remembrance that Jesus had said, he enters in. Iodon, he gets on the journey. He's not very far along, but he's on the journey. So that's the third one. Verse 9, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he, don't forget this word, must rise again, must rise again. We'll come back to it. From the dead. How many of you are glad? He must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes, but Mary, verse 11, She's a seeker. Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw Thereo, she, two angels in white sitting. She began to theorize. One at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because, what a question, because they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw, Thereo, Jesus standing there. But she didn't know it was Jesus. I, can I stop a second? How many of y'all are tracking with me? You're, you got your thinking cap on. To, to see Jesus and not see him. It's so common, especially in a broken-hearted situation like this, that you're seeing all kinds of things that are like supernatural, but you can't see him yet. Um, she says, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? The other disciples have already gone home. They saw some stuff and they thought, man, that's unique. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've taken care of him, I don't have time to play games. If you've carried him away, just tell me where you have laid him and I will take him myself and prepare him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabbi. 
Jesus said, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them. Years ago, I preached on Easter that, why would Jesus say, don't be clingy? Because you can't relate to me post-resurrection like you did pre-resurrection. Don't hold on and seek that old version of me. Are y'all out there? You need to see it. There's a whole, I'm getting ready to leave and I'm going to send the one, the Holy Spirit, post-resurrection. And he's going to help you see like me, talk like me, walk like me, do miracles like me. So don't cling to that in your brokenheartedness. There's a lot. Everybody say, resist the rabbit trail. Verse 18, you know, Lord, just say things that we don't even have time to say right now. Just our hearts are being warmed by your eternal truth right now. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples. Now, this is the first time I have seen, hurrah, I get it. I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. Everybody listen. Now, it's a woman in a culture where a woman can't even take the witness stand in the court. Because, but she has seen some stuff, uh, theorized some stuff, iodined, iodine some stuff. She's on the journey. But she's more than that. Now, Mary Magdalene, who has a crazy past, she gets it. And she stands before the men who should have gotten it. And they see it on her. And she goes, he's not here. He's risen. You know what the church needs right now? Some people who are, we need some people who you can see it on their face. You can hear it in their voice. You can watch it in their walk. They get it. That's what the church needs. Now, oh, Lord, help me. And Pastor Arvel, pray for me. I'm going to hurry through this as much as I can, but I wish I had 30 more minutes. So, this is John's gospel. In, in 20, verse 20, we see four different I see, they saw, but it's four different levels. And then you go all the way back to John 1, and it says, please don't miss this, brothers and sisters. This is like Sermon 301 or 401. I know this isn't a holiday sermon. But John opens up and he says, in the beginning was the Word. We talked about that last week. That's all we needed in the beginning was just the Word. If we have the Word, everything else will come. Just let the Word speak. And then he says, and he did speak, and he came. And he was full of grace and truth. Everybody say grace and truth. It's on the wall out there because we're a spirit-filled church, and they tend to be lovelessly truthful, a little bit more hard-nosed. And John says, in the beginning was the Word, and everything came from, nothing happened without him. And then it says, the message translation says, he moved into our neighborhood and we saw that he was full of grace, not at the expense of truth and full of truth, not at the expense of grace. There was not a hundred or 99% grace, 100% 49.51. Only one person ever was full of grace and full of truth. Who conceived him? The Holy Spirit. Are y'all out there? In a virgin woman who had never known a man, never been intimate, all she said to the word was, I receive it. And then what does John say? We beheld his glory. And it's a whole nother Greek word that goes beyond hurao. And, and John, so he starts the gospel of John 
And he goes, I want you to just know in chapter one, listen to me closely because I got it. And then he walks us through. And so he can back us into John chapter 20. And there's, you can, oh, resist it. I can't. I've tried. Twice I did it. The third time, I can't do it. Um, The word truth in the Greek, where's Dean? See, he's probably out getting ready for the second service, tuning up his bass or something. You know his wife is Alethea. Where are you? Oh, there you are, Dean. How do you say your wife's name? It, and it's based, it's, I haven't asked her this, but it's the Greek word for truly, indeed, 100% correct. And here's, when you look at that word in the Greek, what it means is when something is no longer hidden. Truth is, not just something that's true, because we live on oh, we live on a fallen planet where darkness rules and reigns. And, and there is a spirit from Satan to Jezebel to selfish to suppress what? The truth. And John gives us this idea: if something can become unhidden. People will go, that's true, if it is true. Are y'all out there? If preachers will preach right now the truth, it won't be hidden and people's hearts will go. All the cultural chaos and the, wait, what stuff will be gone? And people go, that's what. Do you understand? Are are y'all connecting last week and this week? So this is why we have to preach the truth now. With that backdrop, here's the last thing I'm going to share. It's the beautiful story of John chapter 4, the woman at the well. Um, it's it in the book of Exodus where God teaches Moses the importance of worship. This is the greatest treatise on worship in all of Scripture. You could build your theology of worship just from this chapter. Everybody picking up what I'm putting down. So it, Tell somebody next to you, seriously, I'm not just playing games with you. Tell somebody, worship is important. Tell somebody. It is so important. So in John chapter 4, we'll break it down real quick, but everybody look. You've got a woman who has been married five times and divorced. And now she's shacking up literally with another man. This is a woman who is broken. Counselors haven't been able to help her. She's given up on relationship. Just any man that will somehow protect her and give her a little bit of attention, even if it's not the right kind of attention. This is a broken. So what do you have? You have, listen, listen, with trans, LGBTQIA+, that whole, what do you have? You have people who are stuck in a conscious level of, bondage that they cannot see anything else seeing truth is even hard and and Jesus comes into this woman's life y'all out there and so we understand this is a woman who sees no this is why she comes to get water when she does verse 3 says Jesus left Judea and went away again into Galilee and he had to pass says he had to pass through Samaria. <sighs> Some translation says, he said, I must go through some, no, you must. that's out of the way. But truth is trying to get to a person. It's, it's been hidden from her. I must get there to her. So it, I can be unhidden. And he went out of his way, and the disciples had to be going, wait, what? That's not the way back to, just follow me. Verse 5, so he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, being wearied from it, wait, what? Jesus, you're, you're Jesus. 
He was sitting by the well. It was about the sixth hour, 12 noon. Nobody comes out in the heat of the day like that to get water unless you're broken. And the last thing you want to see is somebody, especially a man, a religious man at that. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, could you give me a drink? For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, wait, what? How is it men don't ever talk, especially in, with that kind of respect? And I can see you're a Jew. You, you, you would never speak to me in public. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And then look what verse 10 says. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew, I Adon. Do we see the word knew? And it's actually the word, If you had seen me before. I Adon, if you remember, that's the one. You're on the journey. You, you're start, if you had started to believe the gift of God, if you had just been on the journey knowing who it is that's talking to you, saying, give me a drink, you would have actually asked him, and he would have given you living water. She had to perk up. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Everybody listen right here. There are people in this room who do what she, she's like, you, I, you mean well, but you don't realize my need. And you, you, you don't even have, you're making a promise there, Mr. Messiah, that you, I don't think you know what you're saying. This well is deep. And you don't even have anything, even if it was shallow. You know, everybody, we have people that go, because they don't, we don't know the beauty of Jesus and the, the capacity for truth, the person of truth. And we go, that, you, just, you, you can't do it. You can't meet my needs. And you don't blame her for saying it. She's never met a man who could meet her needs. And um, verse 13, Jesus answers, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Look what she says. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, go call your husband and come here. Everybody listen. In today's world, how does a church be truthlessly loving and lovingly truthful? There comes a moment when God is present that truth has to be issued forth in a loving way. Notice what Jesus didn't say, Woman, what is your problem? All you do is sleep around with. He didn't say that. He could have. Some religion, some hardcore legalist would have said, I can't even be seen talking. But Jesus, don't miss this. This is today's trans. This is today's sexually confused person. In the presence of the Lord, when a pastor or a spiritual leader can lovingly present truth, there's an opportunity for a broken person to get truthful. And notice what she does. He says, go call your husband and come. This is, this is why some people, some wives come to this church, but your husband won't. Because he's not comfortable hearing truth there's parts of him and some wives and the husband comes here but the there's a hiddenness that you're comfortable like adam and eve how many of you know what i'm saying is true you hear the word of the lord this morning and the woman answered said i have no husband jesus said you have correctly that's that word you have you have chosen to not be hidden anymore I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive. That's not, that's the theory. I see. Now, 
I'm going to, I'm going to stop here because I'm, I'm going to try to stop here. But I'm, I'm serious. Um, God help me to expedite this. When she says, you're right, I don't have a husband. What made her comfortable to go, I just came here to get water. I don't need that. But she said, sir, that water you're offering, oh, that's what I need. I think that's what. And he goes, and she goes, get me some of that. And he goes, go get your husband. Because this is part of the problem. you got to be made whole, not just have your thirst quenched. I'm talking about something that will make you never thirsty again. And she goes, I don't have a husband. I don't have a husband. Do not underestimate this. When she says, I'm going to come out of hiding, Jesus says, now you're ready for the, the truth. And she speaks it. He speaks it to her. And then she says the obvious. I perceive you're a prophet, you think? But there, I'm skipping over 30 minutes. This will be probably have to pick up here next week. What does worship do? It brings you into the presence of truth. And it prepares you to have an opportunity to come out of hiding and worship in spirit and in truth. And then when you come out of hiding, you perceive who Jesus is. Not just a blepo, a this could meet all of my needs. This could quench my thirst forever. Why am I talking about this? We all know who Jesus is. No, we don't. We don't know how awesome he is. We don't know how great he is. We minimize what he did on the cross and in the empty tomb. This is the Savior who said, I must go through Samaria. Because there's a broken woman there. And if she'll come out of hiding... I'll release unto her a life that she will see who I am. What's the importance of seeing who he is? We see several things. Number one, later she would go, she goes back to her village like Mary went back to the disciples. And she says, hurrah, I got it. Y'all, I know my past. I know what y'all think of me, but I just saw a man who didn't just tell me about my future or my present. He, she says, he told me everything I've ever done. He dealt, this is what happens when you come in with truth. Truth sets you free in the present and the future, and it breaks the bonds of the past. Isn't that awesome? And then, and she goes, Y'all got to come see. Later, I'm skipping over it. They go and they see. And then they tell her at the end of this passage, we got it. We get it too now. Because we not only heard what you said and we saw, but we got it. God, God wants some Ryan Dunn's who go, the people who knew you three years ago, can't believe what a hurrah you are. They, and they go, they're like the disciples. Mary, what got a hold of you? They're like the people, the men in Samaria who go, woman, what? And it's all because truth comes. Why, how does truth come? This is why Jesus said, what you've got to understand my father is seeking you. He's seeking worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. And when it said, I must go through Samaria, my father must find some people who will worship 
in spirit and truth. Because what my Father wants to do in the earth is based upon finding people like that. Listen to this. That word must is the same word where he says, I must be lifted up so that I can draw all men to myself. John 19 says, I, he must be raised from the dead. Understand this. this. This is a God who is just as committed to going through Samaria to meet a woman who's broken as he is to being raised from the dead, going to the cross, and, and paying redemption's price. I hear God saying, I must go by Restoration Church. I hear it every time we gather. How many of you are glad he must come? And he is, a, come on, stand with me. We bless your name, Lord God. We praise your name, Lord God. Oh, I don't know how to close this. I just, you know what I just want to say? Would you be open to what the classic 88-year-old R.T. Kendall says? His book on spirit and in truth. You can't have one without the other. Because if you do, if you have spirit only or truth only, then you're going to have truthless love or loveless truth. I believe, brothers and sisters, what God is releasing, you can feel he's been preparing us for years for this. To be a church that will be a spirit-filled, Pentecostal, Bible-believing church, full of his spirit, full of truth, and a bunch of people who've been caught because he must come by and change your life. Are y'all out there? Oh, man. So, if you are a Mary Magdalene, or you're a Peter who you just, you finish second all the time to the Johns, or you're a woman who went to get water in the middle of the day because she didn't want to be seen. The one who satisfies and quenches your thirst has fixed your present. Let anxiety be gone. Your future anxiety, you have no rights here because the truth has touched my life. And my past will not be held against me. Now I want to tie it together. The testimony of Jesus, this and that, is the spirit of prophecy. Let, let it be, let it go off in here like a beautiful aroma and touch every heart and mind and nose to go, I smell what the Lord wants to do in my life. Are y'all out there? So Lord, we just praise you. We lift our hands and say, fill us with your spirit. Give us more Holy Spirit that reveals truth. Fill this place up with lovingly truthful people and truthfully loving people. May I be a pastor that rightly divides your word boldly with tears in our eyes declaring the truth of your word. May we have empathy and compassion for people, but never compromise the truth and offer ruthless love. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. <clears throat> Make his face shine upon you. Be gracious unto you. Lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. Come on, say it. I receive it. God bless you all.